This podcast is an audio recording of a live event. It may reference visual material that cannot be represented in this recording. It may also contain strong language and adult themes. The opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of ACME. Yas Queen is a three-way collaboration between the Wheeler Centre, Plan International Too Early and Acme, of course. Um, I'd particularly like to thank Holly Crockett, um, Zoe Conleaf and Victoria Carla from Plan International and Emily Siddons who's done so much work behind the scenes to make this event possible here at Acme. Um, this event is uh, the final in a week-long celebration of girlhood and feminism and uh, you can find recordings and podcasts of all the events that make up this um, really amazing week uh, on the Wheeler Centre website so do go to there. Um, it is my job to introduce, introduce with a lisp um, Judith Lucy who will host tonight's event um, and I don't care that she's one of Australia's most loved comedians because she's my favourite. Um, <laughs> Judith has written two best-selling books. The first, The Lucy Family Alphabet in 2008, and the second, Drink, Smoke, Pass Out in 2012. She's also the creator of two ABC series. Um, the first is uh, Judith Lucy's Spiritual Journey, and the second, which really inspired this event, um, Judith Lucy is a Woman. Um, and tonight's event was also inspired by a little podcast with a, starring a woman who sounds a little teensy bit like Judith. Um, that podcast is called Mr. Rabbit and the Bearded Lady. I encourage you to check it out. Um, but I'll let Judith take over and run the show. Thanks, Amita. I'm, um, I'm not going to live up to that introduction. I will disappoint you all. But you can tell I'm serious because my glasses are on and I've got a pen. <laughs> I'm so excited and I just can't fight it. I'm about to lose control and I think I like it. A little bit of pointer sisters to get us in the mood. Yes, welcome everyone <laughs> to Yas Queen. <laughs> We are all going to change the world today. So let's get excited about that. And you know what? Let's hope we change the world because I'm sure a lot of you saw that Plan International and Our Watch uh, released a report this week to mark International Day of the Girl. And that revealed that more than two-thirds of girls and young women believe gender inequality remains a persistent problem in our country. Only 14% believe that they are given the same opportunities in life as boys. And only 16% felt that they were always valued for their brains and ability. That one really surprised me. Uh, today, no, not at all. Uh, today, we will be talking specifically about girls on our TV screens and Plan International's definition of a girl is a young woman aged 16 to 25. You know why we keep mentioning Plan because they're so involved in tonight. And for those of you who don't know, Plan is one of the world's oldest and largest child's rights development agencies. Plan's flagship Because I'm a Girl campaign is working to create a world that values girls and promotes their rights, and we have some of their amazing advocates and activists here tonight. But yes, we're going to be looking at girls on our screens, how they're portrayed, what's good about it, what's bad about it, what we'd like to see change. I, of course, will be dead before those changes occur <laughs> because I'm menopausal. Um, <laughs> 
Let's just all embrace that now. <laughs> now, before we begin, what I'm sure will be a very feisty and interesting conversation if the green room chat was anything to go by, <laughs> we just wanted to say a quick word about the name of the discussion, Yas Queen. Yas Queen, and maybe even more so, uh, Yas Gaga is very much or has been very much associated with one of the shows that we're using as a bit of a springboard for the chat, Broad City. But we did want to say that the word Yas in particular has a much longer history and originated in the 80s in the queer people of colour community, particularly those associated with ball culture. And if you'd like to hear more about that history, and I urge you to, uh, try listening to the podcast Reply All. I think it's episode 69 called Disappeared. But if you really want to get an insight into this remarkable and influential bunch of people, watch the 1990 documentary Paris is Burning, all of which is on YouTube, and it's fantastic. We have happily appropriated the word yes, uh, yes, along with many other words, um, and that should have a whole other discussion devoted to it, but unfortunately, I think we'll be struggling to get through one point this evening, so we'll, <laughs> we'll press on. Uh, okay, before we uh, kick off with a couple of clips, let's get everyone up here to introduce themselves. Uh, hi, my name's Jess Knight. I am a writer, a poet, and a bloody-hearted feminist. <laughs> hi, I'm Mel Campbell. I'm a freelance journalist and film and TV critic, so I'm here in a serious critical capacity. <laughs> <laughs> hi, everyone. I'm Christine Yong. Um, I'm a psychologist and run a social enterprise. All my work is around cultural diversity, education, and promoting that into community and corporations. <laughs> Up the back. Um, my name's Aretha Brown. Um, I'm 15 and I'm a student and um, I'm an Indigenous activist as well as a feminist. So, yeah. Uh, my name is Mireille uh, and I'm from Burundi and I'm very passionate about an Australia that is more multicultural and that offers uh, equal opportunities to women of colour. Hi, I'm Ella. I'm studying sociology with um, a keen interest in non-monosexuality and bisexuality, um, especially in, in terms of masculinity and stuff like that. My name is Billy Tamarkin. I'm a failed writer and failed musician, and I'm also a university student. So, all good things. <laughs> uh, hello. Ooh. Hi, hi. Um, my name's Candy Bowers. I am a theatre maker, a social activist, and an international booty shaker. Um, <laughs> I create work with my company, Black Honey Company, that platforms those that have been erased and symbolically annihilated throughout our screens and stages, mainly women and queer folks of colour. And if you do look in history, the same with Yas, almost everything started with uh, a trans black woman, just putting it out there. <laughs> Um, and that's me. <laughs> My name is Alex. Um, I'm a recent graduate of Melbourne Law School and I'm a disability human rights activist. Uh, my name's Miller. Um, I like candy. Run a, I run a company, a theatre company, kind of circulating queer culture. Um, I myself identify as non-binary, so I just think that's good to put out there. Um, that means I identify outside of the gender binary of male and female. And so tonight, I'm really interested in in dissecting, I suppose, how queer identities are erased in in pop culture. So yeah. And that's all we've got time for. <laughs> Uh, apologies for the lack of diversity. Uh, we don't 
We don't have a straight white man on stage. Um, look, we'll, we'll just have to soldier on, everyone. Uh, I have already said to everyone up here that uh, because we have so many amazing and impressive voices and, you know, we really want this to be a free-ranging conversation, I have encouraged everyone to just jump the hell in. You know, let's all pretend we've had a couple of shots of tequila and just if someone says something you really disagree with or agree with, let's just... I want this to end in a brawl. That's what I'm saying. So, And hopefully with the audience as well. Uh, we are going to kick off with a couple of clips. As I say, they are really just springboards for the conversation, but we're going to show a clip from Girls, uh, which was created by Leonard Dunham, and, you know, I'm really oversimplifying things, but it is basically a comedy drama, I would say, that's about four girlfriends trying to navigate their friendships, their relationships in their 20s in New York. Uh, we're also going to show a clip from Broad City, which was created by Alana Glazer and Abby Jacobson, and that is, I think, more of a comedy, and that is based on their real-life friendship, and they, too, are navigating their way through their 20s and New York. I think these clips are really interesting because both of them say a lot about female friendship and also in both clips we see young women behaving badly and when I say behaving badly I simply mean behaving in a way that we haven't necessarily seen on our screens up until very recently. Now I grew up watching Bewitched and I Dream of Jeannie. <laughs> Uh, you know, and for those of you who don't know those shows, uh, I Dream of Jeannie involved a young woman calling the man she loved master and living in a bottle. And Bewitched involved a witch giving up all of her powers for her husband, who was a dipshit. So we have certainly come a long way from there. Uh, I'm just going to open this up first and foremost by asking everyone up here if they like these shows, uh, if they watch them, and what do you like about them or not like about them? Who would like to charge in first? Broad City is very representative. <laughs> in terms of uh, the wedgie picking, I would say, is, is a big one. And the, the, the dancing, the being late because you're sitting on the toilet on your phone, <laughs> that sort of thing. So you are generally a Broad City fan? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, obviously I was going to say we should – Start off with saying, talking about how white. They yes, are. yes, yes. particularly but, girls. But despite how white Broad yeah. City is, it is less white than girls yeah. is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's a really uh, yeah. a measurement. I think comedy is specific too, though. If you like the humour, then you. It's hard. Like, um, I have times like shockingly misogynist or and and homophobic and racist comics because there's something likable about that comic and gone it's like listening to hip-hop and trying to be a feminist you're like dancing to the music going this is bullshit but i do like i'm surprised i actually can't listen to a comic if they're racist or homophobic yeah so take that well i just go well no no this is this is a really good point about intersectionality because i'm south african so i grew up with eddie murphy I grew up with all of that stuff and so that's a childhood memory and you re-watch re and it's like, what, the actual, this is horrible. I re-watched Eddie but, Murphy and I was horrified. Yeah. I was horrified when I re-watched Eddie Murphy. Yeah. I thought he was hilarious years ago. And then I'm like, oh, God. I think it's interesting what you said, though, I acknowledging these shows on a, on a spectrum of mm. what's not as shit as, <laughs> like, it's a feminist show, sure. It centralises in, in a, showing diverse characters of women or women on screen, but I feel like 
Correct me if I'm wrong here, but I feel like we keep measuring these things up on a spectrum of what's the least offensive as opposed to what's the most inclusive Mm -hmm. and what's the most representative. So I definitely, I love Broad City in the sense that it shows women in an uncompromised way, in a way that they are just naturally experiencing human desires and human experiences without being kind of, Mm. you know, manicured into that. But I do think there is still, yeah, there's still problematic areas. And is it a good thing that, I mean, I especially think with Broad City, I mean, we are seeing Abby and Alana do things that we're actually used to seeing young men do. Mm. We're used to seeing young men, you know, get stoned, get off their faces, have sex. I'm going to throw it over to this side. Is that is that a good thing to see young women doing? Well, I don't know. I mean, uh, we often see women doing these things and we hold women somehow to higher standards than we do men you know oh that's just what boys do you know it's just locker room talk um (laughs) but when a woman goes even just a little bit out of line she's like a disgusting you know she's really letting herself go I mean and and it's not really that unusual I mean looking at the Broad City clip that we just had it's just normal behavior and and also what I liked about it was that it's private behavior the kind of thing that women do when they are not putting on a show for other other men and other women I feel like women often feel like they have to put up a front of like you know what a lady does you know my mother would probably be in the audience going cross your legs cross your legs you know like women can see up your skirt and men too you know it's that kind of uh you've got to perform like a polite yeah femininity exactly um i've never watched these shows growing up i'm from burundi i only started to watch them when um zoe showed us the clips (laughs) that we're gonna (laughs) and what did you think yeah i've never watched girls and i've never watched broad city but um, watching broad city um i would say that somehow it, it represents um, insecurities from young women and also a certain level of freedom that certain women in the world have mm. and that others don't. Yeah. So when I watch it, I would say there are things that even in the bathroom I will never do because of my culture and because because of where I'm from. But there are also other things, as, as she's saying, like uh, smoking weed and, you know, having sex and enjoying that I will sometimes do and will still hide because of how I grew up. So uh, what's more interesting in looking at that, it's just um, putting it in our society here in Australia and trying to see uh, really whether that show or those shows reflect the realities of people who watch them. First of all, from the cast, the people who are casted and who are just actually uh, acting, um, who are they? Are they really representing the diversity? If I, I am living in Camberwell and I live in Footscray, where the majority of Africans or Dandenong, uh, am I really uh, reflecting those realities that we are looking at? Mm-hmm. Am I living the same way as, you know, um, Jessa, or am I living like that? Really? Uh, how does that help me improving where I live and understanding who I live with? Mm-hmm. That's pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just to add on oh. to Mimi, sorry, um, what you just said as um, 
I came here when I was 16 and I didn't really expect anything from, you know, I will see an Asian on the TV show when I come to Australia. This is standard for me to watch white female, how they behave. And as I get along, I think the value, I slowly actually learn those values. I think that's important when we think about feminism and uh, masculinity, all that, what does that mean? We can't really isolate it uh, gender with culture because different culture identify those two things very differently mm. i didn't recognize if i didn't see myself in those cliques at all but as mimi just said is around the values that teaching the next generation and i think now when i've reflect we think on what i will do in the future probably this is something that maybe that suit me but mm. not quite there yet mm. yeah I'd just like to jump in quickly and just say before I said that Broad City was a, was an un, you know, a wild or less manicured way and hearing that it's really important to recognise as a white person, I can, that's not manicured to me but in terms of what I can do and what I have the freedom to do, that is a very manicured way of being, the freedom to be able to do that, that is still a kind of manicured way of, of representing white privilege. <laughs> so that's really important. I think it's also really easy to forget just how middle class a representation this is. They're all, you know, children of people who gave them the opportunity to, the characters and the comedians themselves, um, to go to, to college and to follow their dreams. And this is only a reality for a certain percentage of the population. Yeah, just for them, going swimming to girls, they're all four middle class white women living in New York City. There's no way I could afford to do that in real life. And in that sense, it's so unrealistic that these women can have these lifestyles. So, yes, well, it is good to see people like Hannah, the girl in the green bikini, and a different body shape. Uh, it's still unrealistic because she's a writer living in New York. <laughs> but, but Alex, could you also go, well, it's entertainment, it's not a documentary. <laughs> the problem I think Maybe with that... it should be. Yeah. It should be. Uh, the problem I think with the concept of that, like it's entertainment, is that it is also the majority of entertainment mm. so we don't see anything else mm. and I was talking to these guys about it so I got my first little bit in an in an ABC drama little comic role on Australian TV because now they're letting women that look like me on Australian TV because <laughs> um, I've been waiting for this like I trained at NIDA and I've been, you know, won awards for my work on the stages and, the, and, and what I did was write comedy straight away because, you know, it's a non-curated world. You can go out there and be on stage. Nobody, there's no white guy at the door going, are you a woman? What are you? Can people relate to you? Um, and it's quite an incredible thing, the feeling of erasure. And it's something I think you guys are talking about, the feeling of erasure, the feeling of being, um, of not being anywhere and therefore not knowing what your, who you are, what your worth is. Like uh, I talk about it a lot in regard to even things, people went to school, studied Shakespeare. And I'd go and see these shows and I, I'd look at the women cast, say as Juliet and think, 
why have I only ever seen small white women play this character? Is there something about small white women um, that means that they're more lovable, they're more, um, you know, nor <laughs> somehow normative to fit everybody's aesthetic? And, and as you grow up and um, you realise that, no, that's called white supremacy, that's called, um, you know, actually very, 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 very specifically um, excluding people from the, from the gaze, from the mythology, from the story for, for very good reason. And I think it's about power. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's about, because people then go, oh, but it's about who, who sells tickets. Who I've got a show at the moment that people can't get a ticket to. Every part of my life has, um, you know, is the antidote for all of this stuff but I'm still told that people don't want to see us. Um, yeah, on that point, actually, it's uh, actually also interesting to look at what we watch on the Australian TV. Uh, I do sometimes watch uh, TV here with my boyfriend, and uh, I, I enjoy some shows, really, like, you know, <laughs> The Bachelorette, The Bachelor, and, um, you know. <laughs> doesn't like to see beautiful faces on the TV. But I also enjoy watching Google Books and all those shows, Australia's uh, Next Top Model. Mm -hmm. And what struck me recently, actually, talking about we don't see ourselves. So there was one black girl who was uh, in the show, and then she, she would appear all the time. Her name was Summer. I don't know if anyone here watched it. And she would appear always with those pimples, you know? And I'll be like, come on, we know that there is makeup able to hide those. Why aren't they putting the right makeup on your skin? Mm. It's possible. Don't they have the products? Or are they just not trying to put in any effort? to make you look good, because there are some girls out there in Australia who are identifying themselves to her and to the show in general. And also, another time, they were just walking for uh, Swarovski, and she would just appear without any huge necklaces like others, only small like dot of earrings, and something that wouldn't really put her skin, her beauty, in value. So those things, as but you're that, saying, we don't see ourselves, and yeah. sometimes you don't feel accepted. But Can the I, problem is I, that she's um, only one. That's why you focus like that. Because when there's only one, it's like my cousins used to call me when there was an IKEA ad with a biracial family on it. Yeah. Yeah. We get yeah. a like send around tweet, black family, yeah. biracial family on the TV. Yeah. We're like score. Hello, hello. Um, oh, the menopausal I, lady's going to speak. Um. <laughs> <laughs> and let me tell you, you don't cross menopausal ladies. But I, because I thought this was a good point to just actually give you some figures about Australian television because a milestone study of diversity was done on TV recently and they looked, they uh, analysed 199 dramas uh, between 2011 and 2015 and some of the figures, 18% of main characters in the period were from non-Anglo uh, Celtic backgrounds compared to 32% of the population. 
Only 4% of main characters had an identified disability compared to an estimated 18% of Australians, whilst 5% of main characters were identified as LGBTQ, yet this group is estimated to be up to 11% of the population. And the one thing, the one, um, the one statistic that but the trend was, in fact, uh, Indigenous characters. Aretha, and I want to know if, if you had something to say about this, because the latest study reveals a remarkable shift with 5% of main characters being Indigenous despite making up 3% of the population, and that has changed drastically mm -hmm. in the last few yeah. years. Have well, you noticed that? I just, I, I, I have this story that I, I remember so clearly, and it's... I always put this down, I don't remember why, but I always remember thinking this is one of the happiest moments of my life. So I remember I was staying up, I was younger, and I was staying up late and Rage was on, that, you know, when it was on ABC. And I remember David Bowie's Let's Dance video clip coming on and then seeing an indigenous woman and I just remember crying. I was so happy, like it was just, oh my God, it's making emotional now. Um, but it, I just remember being one of the happiest moments of my life and just seeing a woman who looked like me and who talked like me, um, Oh, and talk like me, and I just remember thinking, wow, this is so amazing, and I call my cousins and my mom, and quick look, you know, there's a curry on, on, on TV, and it kind of made me realize now, looking back, I thought, wow, that was amazing, but looking back at it, I think it's, seeing indigenous women and, and women in general on TV, I think it's something that necessarily, when we get to the point where it's not a big deal anymore, I think we're doing it right. Yeah. Um, when, when we're not kind of going, wow, oh my god, there's a woman of color on TV, that's Incredible! It should just—it should. We should just be. Oh, you know, it just—it just is another TV character. I kind of think. Do you think it might be because there are more Indigenous people in production side of things? You know, actually, Indigenous directors, Indigenous writers, showrunners, um, making shows for their own communities that that also. Uh, oh, sorry, sorry, oh, you're yeah, going. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, what I kind of think about it is obviously we all know the uh, television uh, station NITV and, you know, it, it's a great channel and I really love it and it's got some really, really informative and progressive television programs which really spotlight Indigenous women and, you know, all these kind of Indigenous issues. But it's very easy with NITV for all these great television shows to kind of be swept aside to one channel and, these real, and you know, we have shows like, you know, Go and Ten and Seven which is... Basically, nowadays, everyone's watching Netflix anyway. It's just showing absolute crap. And these shows that people should really be watching are kind of just being swept aside onto things like NITV, and I think it kind of needs a bit, a bit, more, of a, a bit more of a spotlight, if you know what I mean. Well, yeah. one of the things this article says is, is definitely a factor also is that when you have Indigenous decision-makers within funding bodies and broadcasters coupled with initiatives that support Indigenous writers, directors and producers and actors, that that also makes a big difference. I mean, that's the th something I'm interested in too because I think there's this idea that we all have of, oh, if we just got all the middle-aged straight white men out of the decision-making roles, that would change everything. But it seems to me it really has to start from the ground up. And one of the... Uh, the points that's made in this article um, when it comes to people with disability, Alex, is that, you know, you're not seeing people with disability in the writing room. You're not seeing them as part of a production crew. And you don't see them anywhere. And especially on TV and in film. I could, when I got selected to the, this panel, I had to think about what to say with actors I know. And I could think of maybe three, and that's it. And they're American, and there's none in Australia. 
And it's funny, I called it the Paralympics, and my favorite part is the ads. <laughs> because if not, most if not all of the ads showed people with disability. And one ad in particular, my favorite, was a Maltese ad. And it had three women sitting on the bench and one sitting in a wheelchair and they're just talking in a general gossip and the woman in the wheelchair makes a joke about their sex and I, I never fell out of my wheelchair <laughs> not only was there a woman with a disability on TV which was talking about sex Mm. And that is so rare. Like growing up, I never had a role model on TV. It was only until I got to university and I came across Stella Young, mm. when she was in peace, did I find a role model. And it's so sad that seeing this woman in a wheelchair on TV it was so rare and mm. such a shock mm. and it shouldn't be yeah i um just something to highlight what i think what i hear from both you and and um aretha as well is and me as well of course is looking at the roles that um respectively people from our separate and and kind of intersectional communities play in media, in in any in any role that is seen, is is a tokenized understanding of that. It's a single dimension understanding of a trans person, it, it, of a person with disability, even the of thing, an indigenous person. Even the thing you were saying before about women with disabilities, you also find that it's always physical disabilities that women have, and you know things that spotlight like mental disabilities are hardly ever kind of touched. I find anyway in mm. in young mm. television shows. Yeah. yeah. I just, I just find it so interesting that this moment was such. And um, Alex showed me the clip, and it's an amazing, it's an amazing ad. Google it. Google it. It's awesome. You'll, you'll thank her. But it's, I think the thing that's so remarkable that when you were showing me this, it's, it's showing this woman having a very common human experience, and that was shocking. Mm. And it is shocking to see a three-dimensional character or a three-dimensional experience of a woman with a disability because, or, you know. Because when you do see people with disabilities in TV and film, they're always being looked after or mm. saved or, you know, they're in trouble. Well, you never see an independent, educated, uh, kicking ass <laughs> woman with a disability on TV, ever. Talking about uh, those important scenes that you see and that make you happy, actually, this reminded me of um, the, the the awards uh, for um, journalists on TV when um, Walid Ali just won that golden... Uh, Logie. Yeah, exactly. And then when he just uh, claimed that that one belonged to all was for everyone with a non-pronounceable name. <laughs> so like seeing someone with um, an Egyptian background, Muslim man here in Australia, very rare presenter, winning that golden you know, award, seeing that was also significant to me. Not because uh, 
I'm Muslim or not because I'm from Egypt, but just seeing how sometimes things can happen. People decide differently. Everything is made by people. If they decide that they want to be more inclusive, they can do it. It's I'm going to throw a spanner. Because <laughs> Judas said to fight, to fight. Well, do you know what? I'm going to throw a spanner okay. at your spanner, and well, we're going to come back to you because sure. I'd really like to hear. We haven't heard from Jess, and Jess, I just wanted to say, what aren't we seeing on Australian television that you'd like to see? Ah, uh, um, skinny girls with scoliosis raised Mormon, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and who discover that uh, masturbation is awesome after being raised to believe that you didn't do it because it was a sex gateway. What <laughs> oh, yes. is a sex gateway? It's <laughs> a sex gateway. A fucking good one. You're referring to self-pleasuring. I certainly am. Good grief. <laughs> I'm shocked. I, you seem so nice. <laughs> 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 Who led you this way? <laughs> but, yeah, but is there that, anything? I think it'd be a great television show. <laughs> Basically, sure. what I'm saying is, I want to be on a TV show that's about my life. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and then I think that's so the, the thing with all of these girls in it with yeah. me. <laughs> yeah. That's my I think maybe going to what Jess is saying, that the best thing that these shows have, no matter how unrepresentative they are of women as a whole, is that they are genuine representations of these women. They haven't been written by men and then yeah. put women in the forefront to be like, oh, this is what women are like. This is what women like. These are real women telling their own stories. And even though they're not always the stories of many people. They are the stories of some people and they're authentic. Well, and don't you think that's that's interesting that they are very idiosyncratic stories mm. and, and the writer-creators of the, the shows also star in them? So it's, it's specific, yet in being received by the audiences, it's like girls. Every single girl is mm. allegedly being addressed by this show, Girls. And like Broad City, there's so many think pieces being written about like what these shows teach us about ourselves. Well, what if they don't teach us anything and they're literally just about the people who made them. But with the girls, I don't know about you, but all the characters are so annoying. Mm -hmm. <laughs> girls is the worst. <laughs> yeah, no it's got this massive Dunham. fan following. Yeah, huge. Oh, I struggle with so much to do with girls. It really alarms me that I often, the only people I sympathise with are the men in it. And I find that... <laughs> It is, it is funny to the point that the men are the sanest characters on yes. girls. I think, I think if I'm going to just jump in, the one thing I find that Broad City does really well, and we talked about this in the meeting, is the representation of um, like bisexuality and fluid sexuality with women. Um, and uh, so as in... You know, it's it's not really an issue. It's kind of detokenized. It's 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 a part of her in terms of Alana. It's it's a part of her. You know, it's you see the exploration, but it's never it's never like the coming out narrative. Yeah. It's not. Oh, I gotta. You know, not that that's not a reality for a lot of people. It really is, but. There are representations yeah. of that and LGBTI people more than that. Yeah, well, it know? doesn't tick the diversity box in the show, which yeah. I think is so exciting when you see Broad City is like, yes, they're not making, like, although it's important to actually be vocal about including, you know, mm. queer queer things in, in media, it's not that, like, we did a really good thing, we included <laughs> bisexuality, go us. Like, it's, it's actually just a part of her identity, which... Yeah. 
as you know modern queer people it just it is a, a factor of our identity not the central pivot of it yeah. sometimes yeah. and also with the 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 conversation of representation and intersectionality it's it's a similar point of um as i was talking before about affording moral complexity mm-hmm. um so in terms of if if you look at structures of hierarchy the the people who i, I guess are at the top of the hierarchy and representation generally they're afforded the most complexity in the way that their characters right. are written yeah. mm-hmm. if their characters are written well then we really like that if their characters are written badly we we're okay with that we you know we'll diss them but that's okay we've got plenty more representations of this sort of person but when it comes to people who are marginalized or oppressed in in different ways it's kind of a token pops up and they'll be like that's what a person of color is like that's it we don't need any more what i was going to say before is what's allowable for certain people who don't fit that kind of white patriarchal mold or box Mm. so if you look at something like the project you can see you know one of these kids ain't like the other but we can only have one (laughs) and um and the thing about that is what I see is why, why, why can't I see a Muslim fundamentalist as offensive as Steve Price? Why can't I see a separatist lesbian feminist as offensive as, as Steve Price? So <laughs> they exist. We only get to see the really offensive white man in Australian media. We don't really get to see anyone on the other side. Mm. You know, we only get an Andrew Bolt. We don't get to hear. I, I know some. You know, we don't get to hear from Uncle Robbie Thorpe every day in our paper who's just like, you know what, you answer genocide with mass murder. Mm-hmm. So, but we get to hear this from, from these old white men and that for me um, means that anyone, you know, there's that good darky phenomena which is like, um, I'm going to be really frank, back in the day when you worked in the field, there were people who worked in the field. Now, the, the, the ones that were... Um, people of colour, the ones that did really well were then invited inside the house. So there are people in the field and there are people in the house. The people in the house were known as good darkies or house niggers. And the people in the field were known as bad darkies or field niggers. And sometimes you got a field nigger in the house and that was like, it was on, yeah? Um, which is how I feel when I work at Melbourne Theatre Company. But like... <laughs> The thing about it is we can't stay silent. I kind of feel like sometimes it's that thing of like, well, I love this guy, so I don't want to actually critique anything because, you know, he's... They're 70% there, you know, but I would say it does more damage sometimes. Like, I found that response to Sonia Kruger's incredible, um, you know, and dangerous words, you know, we... Yeah, anyway, like, absolutely absolutely despicable so we have to be able to critique like i've got lots of friends in the hip-hop industry but it makes me really mad that like hilltop hoods bring out a song called 1955 with an indigenous brother like briggs in the clip and don't actually mention what was going on for black people in 1955 in this country so we don't critique them because you know they're woke white boys i don't think they are but i'm saying like, we have to be able to continually critique, and sometimes I find the people who really need to be critiqued more are those lefties that when you bring up the fact that they're actually um, ableist and racist and misogynist, actually, because we all have to decolonize otherwise, they're the ones that you get the most white fragility back from, you get the most, like, hell from, they block you in, in, in places like my industry, like in the arts. 
Um, and that's the stuff. Are you seeing anything changing at all, though? Like in the time since you've graduated from NIDA to now, are you... Are, can you give us some hope? <laughs> I am still here, bitches. Yeah. Woo! Yeah. There's a bit of hope, though. Yeah. There's so, hope in, in having access to broader global communities. Yay, the internet. Yeah. A little queer kid having no freaking clue what the hell anything <laughs> is, and here comes the internet, and here comes online friends who can show me resources, and here comes support groups, and here comes actual conversations that otherwise were completely silenced and just mythical. It's literally the tool of, of fighting erasure. Like That's right. That. Instagram yeah. saw black hair for the first time in my life. Mm. Never seen a black woman with hair like mine on the front of TV Week or Vogue or whatever. You're like, I can do that shit with my hair. That's so... Ex- like, and it seems really small, you know, but, it's you know, huge. you can find your fa- the foundation and the hair products you need. There's enough of us here now for these things to be stocked. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well how's, 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 how's the hope quota over this side? Um, yeah. Uh, thanks, sister. <laughs> <laughs> I love it when truth is being heard, and uh, I especially love being here and being able to have this kind of conversations because, as uh, Millie is saying, you got to have a space to talk about these, and this is awesome just listening to that, you know, because. There are places you will never hear anyone talking about those things, the things we're talking about here. So uh, talking about TV, talking about uh, reality show, drama, whatever we see on TV here in Australia should really identify, uh, should reflect what we are living in the society. And as you are saying, there are people in the house and there are those who, stays, who stay behind. In many, like in that industry, especially in media, I believe that most of the people, you won't see them, but they might be there inside somehow, somewhere, writing, but will never appear. Because I wonder, does, if Australia is saying that it is really multicultural, that enough, Is it scared to show uh, to what extent it is multicultural? Well, I'm with Candy. I think fear has a lot to do with it, absolutely. Yeah, because as you're saying, we won't probably talk about how many uh, asylum seekers in Australia now. We won't talk about maybe how many indigenous from the past. So we'll talk about white stories. We will talk about what they experience as if they were the only people living here. But that's not true. Uh, wake up in the morning and just get in a tram and, or a train and see, look around you. See the people you see. Just move around and see how many food stores from everywhere you can find. Like multiculturalism is just around you. But we need to embrace that. And by embracing that, it doesn't happen only in some aspects of the life. It has to be everywhere. So how do we do that? Do we just push so fast? Do we, what do we do? Can I ask Mel, as someone who's a, as a critic and who's been watching film and TV f- for a number of years, have you seen things change? Are well, you heartened by anything you see? Well, we're in this really weird transitional phase at the moment where people know the tools, now the critical language to talk about privilege and intersectionality. They know about things like the, the trans experience and the idea of pronouns is, is becoming huge 
huge. Um, and the idea of what it is to be woke is huge. I feel like I can't even say woke because I'm feeling really awkward, like I'm the whitest person on this panel um, today. But I'm the whitest and the oldest, so <laughs> suck it up. But I think that we're, we're in this <laughs> stage where um, people want to do the right thing, whether it's people who want to commission the, like, who want to reflect the, the kind of diversity that we do see, or whether it's um, other gatekeepers like me, like critics, who are in charge of... Uh, sort of explaining things to other people as part of the culture but it's we're worried about getting it wrong and I think that there are people who like Candy was saying you know like the white hip-hop guys who want a cookie when they have a go even if they have done a shit job at it Um, and that I think is is a bit of a roadblock people who think that they can make a token gesture towards diversity but then not really follow through on what it actually means to be diverse it's like do you talk the talk but not walk the walk mm-hmm. and it's the walking I think that is going to make a massive difference like behind the scenes um, where you might not be able to see what people are doing um, whereas like I feel like people like me are in this interpretive position in the culture um, where we're, we're really just reacting to what we see and um, and so we have the chance to sort of shape the way that things are perceived but it's the people who are making the shows and so I think Judith what you're saying about the decision makers that's crucial I think though you've got to always like I was in a show at the Arts House earlier this year um, made by feminists from Scotland and it was a big feminist throwdown trilogy anybody see me dance naked oh hello sir Um, (laughs) I didn't read that bit of the contract properly but it was fun but the thing about it is was that was the first time that group had worked with a woman of color and they wanted to like get an intersectional you know, idea oh, in the 70s, this feminist, this white feminism was going on. I was like, really? And like Angela Davis and Audrey Lord and Yoko Ono, who were just around the corner. So the thing is, yes, it's it's revisionist history. It's Leah Purcell doing The Drover's Wife right now at Belvoir going like a, a Kill Bill scenario of an Aboriginal woman going out and slaughtering all of the Lord Protectors. It's actually about saying um, this whitewash of history and this whitewash of perspective um, is the thing, is, is crucial and instrumental. And something just came to me because a lot of white people often ask me what they can do um, a lot. And, um, and I think one thing you can do is not protect each other not protect each other from the wrath of, of people from a different place from you telling you how it is. Because I hear so often, oh, you know, they grew up in a certain way. No, he's really trying. Do not protect each other. That protective covering is stopping the change. You must be uncomfortable in order to change. It's a known fact. Take it raw, yeah? Most I think that's an incredible yeah. point, can I say, because I also am going to... <laughs> I'm going to speak for every white person in the room, and especially if, you know, we do feel we're a bit right on, we are riddled with fucking guilt. Yeah. So, I mean, th- that's the other thing, and you're right. We're riddled with guilt, but we also don't really want to feel uncomfortable. Mm. So, yeah, yeah, you know, I'm, lay into us, and we have got to take it. Antidote to privilege. Um, if you want to address your privilege... Drop it. Your privileged position of never having to feel trauma, of feeling guilt, shame. I I grew up from apartheid parents. I got two crippled parents who I grew up with post-traumatic stress disorder. You know, the way I view the world is very different to someone who has grown up with comforts and parents that, um, you know, bring them up in a certain way. So I feel like 
people that live on these edges, we are actually the truth tellers and the the people that need to be called on. We're the experts in this shit. So don't protect each other from us. Hey, I'm just going to say, and I'm going to go straight to you, Billy, and make you the first person here because as I knew would happen, or we all did, we don't have that much time left. So um, you made a very good point. You've made so many good points, Candy. Before we came on here and said, look, you know, there might be certain things that people haven't had a chance to say yet. So if we could even just do a quick, you know, almost like the introduction, anything someone would particularly like to say in terms of what we're not seeing on television, what we can do to change things, or just have a feminist rant um, (laughs) before we end, please. Let's try and fit it all in. So, Billy, over to you. All I was going to say was that I read somewhere on the interwebs a really interesting thought that it is a privilege to have racist friends and I think that also applies it is a privilege to have homophobic and transphobic friends and I think that it's really important to note that when someone near you who you who you care about says something that is just heinous that ignoring that is um is criminal um I I think that we need more representations of the diversity of feminism. I think that feminism, especially from the outside, gets blocked into this one idea, you know, we're all not shaving our underarms and burning our bras. And I think that within feminism, there are very many arguments that should be aired in our media. Questions of intersectionality and, you know, rad femmes who don't believe that you know, trans women or trans people in general should be part of mm-hmm. feminism and that stuff, you know, we need to we need to be showing that on our mm-hmm. screens so that mm-hmm. kids at home when they're hiding under the covers and watching Netflix can know that they're not alone. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, just in saying that, I kind of just wanted to say as well how I kind of, liking your point before as well, Candy, um, just with, you know, being indigenous and being um, involved in programs like this and being in so involved in so many different kind of you know social justice things you know feminist groups and all that kind of stuff it's kind of easy for people to be like oh um, you know why does Aretha get all these special why does she get to do all these different opportunities why does Aretha get to speak in panels like this you know like what does she do you know why does she get it you know she's so privileged and it's kind of like well you know my grandma, she didn't even get to go to school. She was made to become a maid when she was my age because she has fair skin like me. And it kind of just makes you think, uh, as everything as a whole, it's, it's about time, really. Yeah. For all this stuff, it's about yeah. time. Yeah. 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 Well, it's, it's an interesting... We were talking in the green room before about like how the stuff that kids of today are able to access in terms of the different portrayals of girlhood and girls. Just so, I mean, Judith, you began the session by talking about I Dream of Jeannie and Bewitched. I mean, and, and like shows like this, even if they're like terrible in many ways, like there was nothing like that when I was a teenager. I mean, I guess the most diverse thing I had was Heartbreak High. Um, but I mean, it's exciting that um, girls are, are more outspoken you know like Aretha she's so impressive and she's 15 and there are heaps and heaps of of girls who are awesome and it's shows like this I think that are giving them ideas that there's more they they know there's more out there and they they want more and they think that they do deserve more so those statistics you were um, citing at the start about how girls don't think that they're taken seriously they they don't think they're getting opportunities maybe they're just realizing that there is more that they should be getting Mm. 
Jess, anything you'd like to add at this stage? Um, I'd just like to say that since I'm really jealous of um, younger women who have the internet because um, being like growing up on a farm and stuff with no internet and like being weird and religious and stuff, it was just really <laughs> isolating, like super yeah. isolating. If I'd had like the internet and stuff, it would have been, I think, really good. I, it would have been good for me but in saying that I also think it's really cool to have had that kind of experience and know that that's what taught me that I am really strong now was because I had all that time to figure stuff out completely on my own Mm -hmm. and realize that I am enough you know like I can do stuff and it doesn't matter about not being pretty or looking like everybody else or you know staying in the mold that the Mormon church, church makes women have to be like they have to just get married and have children like that's what you're told from the time you're little and I was really lucky that my parents were a couple of weirdos and they said maybe because they knew I wasn't marriageable material but they did encourage me to go to university and that is a freaking privilege Mm. so trust me I didn't grow up with internet either and even now sometimes when I go back it's hard to still have internet (laughs) Christine would you like to say anything before we wrap up um I think for me, probably is my profession as a psychologist, I think um, is really start from each individual that we are able to watch TV and look beyond the stereotyping behavior on the TV. Because I think there are a lot of shows that only emphasizing on what a queer community or a person is or what a Chinese is behaving in a society. I think there are a lot way more to look beyond that socially constructed story mm-hmm and to look behind that human qualities and values. I think that is very hard for human being to do, is to cut ourselves from those biases and unconscious or conscious biases. I think that's really important. And just stop and think, yeah. is that this person showing something more than just a Chinese or more than just a young girl? What other qualities this person actually have mm. as a human being? I think that's really critical. Like more, more than just a color sometimes. Yeah, more yeah. just a color, more more just that mm. superficial identity yeah, yeah. I, I, I can I, I can relate so much because sometimes it's very easy for everybody to be like oh Aretha oh who's that again oh she's the she's the aboriginal girl yeah. oh her and it's kind of like oh you know yeah. I'm so much more than that you know what I mean yeah, and it's, exactly. it's very easy to be kind of bo- yeah. boxed in and just I just have a kind of an open question everyone do you think that in terms of with feminism do you think that it's the same kind of attitudes that we had, you know, say in the 60s, you know, you're talking with like the TV shows like Bewitched and that kind of stuff, that it's the same kind of, I don't know, elements, but we're just talking about it more and there's more people kind of calling it out or do you think it's actually kind of getting somewhere? See, when I was a student, when I was a student in the 80s, people were talking about it a lot. Yeah. Mm. So I actually think it, it goes in waves. Mm. But I'm sorry, we really are nearly at the end of it. I'm sorry, Aretha. Mm. So does anyone have any... Alex, anything you'd like to say before we... Um, I just had to say I'm sick of wheelchairs being the token. Um, and at the moment, I'm binge watching The Good Wife on Netflix. Love it. <laughs> because it's about an educated, dominant woman who's a lawyer and she's amazing. And it would be awesome to see a woman in a wheelchair play that role. Mm-hmm. And it's really disappointing that the same one people with disabilities and 
film and television. Sometimes when I live in the same in my life, I'm thinking of Artie of Glee. Yeah. Um, and Walter Jr. in Breaking Bad has cerebral palsy, the same disability as me, and he was asked to play up his disability for the role. Play up. Play up. To make it worse. So the actor actually, the actor can actually go running and go mountain hiking. And in the show, he uses crunches to get around and doesn't even use them, right? I would just really like to see more representation of actually disabled people in TV and film. Yeah. 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 That's like when a director told me to do, like we have in Stanislavski or whatever, you get a verb like, you know, caress or be more this or that. And yeah. he said, can you do it more black? And it's like, can you oh do it? God. Can you do it more disabled? <laughs> <laughs> a bunch of bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> um, Mel, were you going to throw something in there? Yeah, I just want to say, I think as a whole, we can hold, hold ourselves to a higher standard mm. of not only including diversity to tick the boxes or to create, not even just to instigate a conversation, but actually go there. As you were saying, Candy, if you're going to fucking go there, go there. We're talking about intersectionality. We're talking about diversity. So let's do it inclusively and let's do it holistically. Let's not just go there and hit the top of the iceberg. Let's have some actual trans women playing trans women for crying out loud. Woo! Mm. Yeah, let's actually... They're, they're there. There are disabled actors. They exist and they're fucking great. So give them the roles. Actually be willing to go past your own discomfort and your own privilege to engage with these communities. I think it was really interesting just to bookend this. You're saying that majority of pop culture has originated with trans people of colour and predominantly trans women of colour and it's been appropriated throughout history. So majority of the music and the styles and the dance moves and even our colloquialisms have predominantly come from marginalised groups. Predominantly. And they've been appropriated into white culture. So why don't actually use it at the root and use it? It's just nonsensical to me. So I implore you all to hold yourselves and your community to a higher standard and actually engage with these conversations and with these people. That's, yeah. That's I don't note. think we can end on a better note than that, really. The only thing I want to add is that the one thing I have seen so much in, in, in my life is that um, when I was in my 20s, um, I just was not as articulate, I did not have the information and I did not have the confidence that I see in so many, well, everyone up on this stage tonight and that gives me a lot of hope for the future. So can we please have a huge round of applause for everyone. Thank you to ACME, thank you to the Wheeler Centre, thank you to Plan, thank you all for coming, uh, thank you to all the staff who've been looking after us. Now go out and change everything! <laughs> <laughs> awesome. You have been listening to an ACME podcast. For more recordings, go to soundcloud.com slash acmeonline or the ACME website. <laughs>